Hi, I'm Ben Thompson, doctor of audiology. This is a podcast to help you with tinnitus, hearing loss, or hearing aid technology. Let's get ahead with today's episode. In this podcast episode, I am hosting a colleague and friend, Dr. Keith Darrow, who is a Harvard Medical and MIT-trained neuroscientist, as well as a published author on the topics of hearing loss, hearing health, and tinnitus. Dr. Darrow, welcome. I wanted to ask you to get straight to your point. What is the most important thing that seniors need to know that the older adults in this community need to know about the brain? Well, first off, Dr. Ben, thank you so much for having me on here. And I appreciate you mentioning the things I've been doing. Look, I've been in hearing healthcare now for over 20 years. I, I first became an audiologist and then decided to go back and study the brain some more. And that's where I really started to, to sort of wrap my hands around how important hearing is for brain health. And so over the last few years, I feel as though I've, I keep sort of narrowing down my mission. I keep sort of narrowing down what it is that we're trying to do. And, and I got it down to four points, okay? First, hearing care is healthcare. So people need to understand that when we're talking about treating hearing loss, tinnitus, we're talking about treating overall health and wellness, physical health, social health, emotional health, cognitive health. So it's really important. Number two, preventing decline and dementia is possible. We now know, and there's been a number of reports showing us that it's four in 10 cases of dementia are considered preventable. I mean, that is a, a huge number. There was even a recent report that came out talking about commonly used drugs, about, you know, Viagra. Some, there are things that people need to know to help reduce their risk of dementia. And as I'm sure you and I will get into, the number one on the top of the list, the most important thing is treating hearing loss to help reduce the risk of dementia. So that's that's my number two sort of drive in life. Number three is that, and you know this all too well, reducing the experience of tinnitus is possible. There's no cure. There's no guarantee. But we now believe, and, and we've collected data in our centers over the last few years, which, which aligns with all the other published data showing that nearly eight in 10 patients can receive relief from that, that ringing, the swooshing, the buzzing, those annoying sounds in their ears and head by treating their hearing loss and tinnitus. And finally, all of this comes together to really hand the keys over to our patients. Yes, you mentioned older adults, seniors, but I think that their children, you know, the the 40 to 50 year olds, the ones taking care of mom and dad now, they need to know this too, that treating hearing loss is one of the most important keys to active aging. Thank you so much, Dr. Darrow. I love that. We're going to talk about all those points, go a little deeper. For our YouTube community, we have been focusing on tinnitus on preventing further tinnitus, on promoting habituation, on having a robust toolkit to manage it. Like you said, tinnitus can get better. And in most cases, it does. The brain can adapt to tinnitus through habituation. You but what, but Dr. Ben, what are our what are our patients told when they go visit the primary care doctor? What are they told by that 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 person that they trust the most to manage their care? And I'm not trying to knock every primary care doctor, but they're told, and I quote, "There's nothing that can be done about it." 
And so you and I understand that frustration of not only do we have our uphill battle with our patients, but we're fighting against a mega sort of, you know, medical community that, that I dare I say almost dismisses people and just says, deal with it. That negative counseling, as it's called, has an effect. It has an effect on the very centers that are driving the sustained activation of tinnitus. And some doctors, when they're communicating about this, they're they're looking at it very black and white, very medical. And oftentimes, if we listen closely to what they're saying, they're not wrong. They're saying, I don't have anything for you. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. There's nothing we can do here at this medical clinic. Sure. And what they're missing is all that audiologist that's trained in tinnitus management or a psychologist trained in tinnitus management can perform. And, and that's the disconnect. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I, I would absolutely agree with it. And you're a lot nicer than I am because I usually just default to, no, your doctor's stupid. They said the wrong thing, right? <laughs> that's just my, maybe that's my the New Yorker in me um, that comes out sometimes. But you're you're 100% right there. If you took them word for word, there's nothing they can do about it. And that is true. But I think if we all really committed to that sense of, I need to help every patient. And even though I can't do something right here, right now, if you do a little bit of homework, even if you look in the AMA and the, you know, the journals, if you look at the uh, American Academy of Otolaryngology, there are guidelines for helping people with tinnitus. And, and as you said, the referral to the hearing healthcare specialist is right up there at the top of the list of what they need to be doing. And so it's podcasts like this. I talk about it in my book that is that is really helping to get out the word. And I don't see my book as being just for the patient. I see it for the family members. I see it for their doctors. I see it for the entire healthcare community. We're going to talk about your book in detail. And for those of us watching here on YouTube, stick around until the end where we will explain a giveaway of 15 books for free provided by Dr. Darrow's team two people who sign up on a link below the video. So hang around till the end for details on that. Awesome. Uh, I, I wanted to, to jump straight into something, which is this topic you discussed earlier of, okay, we can prevent decline of cognitive function. Now I'm trying to flip that 180 degrees. And essentially I'm thinking of, we can promote healthy brain function. We can promote and preserve our brain function. So yes, simultaneously we're preventing decline. And in the same sense, we're promoting and preserving what we already have. So great way tell to put more it. about this. This is your, your work. This is your focus. Please tell us about your book, Preventing Decline, and, and the main points. I, from look, I think those are the kindest words that people have said to me. This is my focus. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm downright obsessed um, when it comes to understanding how the brain works. I'm obsessed with trying to help others out there to not go through what my family went through. We lost my grandmother some time ago. And, and I swear, now that I've, I've learned so much, a couple of things that come right to mind. One, if I knew then what I know now, maybe, just maybe, my grandmother could have been one of the four in 10 that could have prevented her dementia by, as you say, promoting cognitive health. So, so that's, that's one thing that, that, dare I say, haunts me. Uh, that I think about all the time. You had something I want to jump off of there. If I knew, if I knew then what I know now, let's let's use that for some common situations of perfect. Someone who's sixty-five years old, 
they feel they feel good. They may notice a few things in their life that are different. If you're counseling them now, you're gonna that's probably a lot different than if you were to approach that 15 years ago with all your research, your scientific study, uh, writing exactly. books. Exactly. If you knew then what you knew now, uh, what would you how would you counsel patients who have the common signs of early stage risk of of cognitive changes? Sure. So so here's what we know, right? We know that as we age, there is what what's actually what doctors call mild forgetfulness. That's actually the the definition that's used. So as we age, we become a little bit more forgetful. Maybe we tend to misplace our car keys more often. Maybe we tend to, you know, walk out of a big box store and think where the where did I put my car, right? So these things first off, they happen to everybody. They'll happen a little bit more as we get older, but then there's mild cognitive impairment where that cognitive decline starts to starts to impact daily life. And then there's when we get to dementia, which is a serious neurocognitive disease that impacts everyday living. And really it starts to impact everybody around us. And so the studies that we have been looking at and and some of the work I did in the lab has really been focused on why is it that with hearing loss, it increases the risk of a cognitive decline. And so we have to take this research, we have to take the known data that's out there. And as you said, we have to start counseling our patients. We have to start letting them know that, yes, it's not only important to treat your hearing loss so that you can stay connected to others, so that you can maintain relationships, but it's also important because it's like it's like instant brain training. As soon as you start treating hearing loss, as soon as you start stimulating the brain to address tinnitus, I mean, there's active neuroplasticity and rewiring that's happening that profoundly impacts life. Yeah. And that term neuroplasticity related to tinnitus, related to hearing loss, from your understanding of the research, how much time does it take for tinnitus to habituate? How much time does it take for a new hearing aid user to adjust neurologically to the new sound they're hearing? Well, I... <laughs> uh, I'm not going to let you box me into a corner on this one because, because you and I both know that if we assign a number, we potentially take foot insert in mouth. And now we have a patient who uh, maybe doesn't have the right expectation of treatment. And so I, I just level with my patients as I'm sure you do. And I just say, look, here's what the research tells us. Two things. Number one, the longer you've had your hearing loss, the longer you've had your tinnitus, you can kind of bank on the longer it will take for your brain to adapt. Now, if you really want to push push back and, and assign a timeline, we hope to see changes within the first 60 days. However, there's documentation going back 10, 20 years showing six to 18 months for the brain to really adapt, right? If, if you're going to tell me that you served in Vietnam and that you have had tinnitus since then, I'm not saying it's going to take 40 more years to fix, but it's going to take a lot longer than somebody who is just, say, going through the aging process. They're 62. They've only noticed the ringing a little bit for a few months. Those are very, very, very different cases. Uh, so, so no promises, but realistic expectations are really key for people to, to understand. And, and that's for tinnitus. And I agree, the six to 18 month time window, it's important because we're not 
promising and there frankly is no quick fix solution for the majority of tinnitus cases but that's, that's what they want that's what they want and right and we meet them where they're at of yeah we we want certain medical evaluations if it was a tmj issue if it was a neck issue if it was a medical issue you you could see pretty quick improvement if you if you had sudden onset tinnitus it can get better in 3 months we've both seen it now to prepare one's mindset and behaviors for the long haul that this is a marathon that is really important and i'm glad we're on the same page with the overall timeline and expectations now about about hearing loss let's imagine that we have a patient who is 65 years old who has a mild to moderate degree of hearing loss they're trying hearing aids for the first time should they expect a quick fix and if not how much time does it take to acclimatize to that new sound so so that's a great question and another one that i wish had a really simple answer because not all treatment programs are created equally not all hearing aids are created equally not all of us in our own field do things the same way and so in our hands and we have we have excellence in audiology certified members across the country with the program that we've designed from from step step a to step z here's what we basically tell our patients when we start treatment on day 1 i'm going to i'm going to get you hearing really good Give me 30 to 45 days and, and I'm going to have you hearing great again. And, and that is our essential timeline. We've done a ton of data collection, looking at pre and post survey. And, you know, 15 days is probably not enough. We have to have some checkups. There's, there's not only fine tuning to the technology that takes place in the beginning, but the brain is being reintroduced to stimulation patterns that have been missing for, well, I guess, the average patient waits seven years. So even with that stage one, stage two hearing loss, I, I know most people out there hear the mild, moderate, severe terms, but stage one through stage four, even there, there's always more that can be done. And, and it does take time because you are, I mean, in some cases, literally taking somebody who hasn't heard certain things for years and now reactivating that part of the brain. And, and Patients in the beginning might almost reject it if we overdo it. And so there's those tweaks. We call it the adaptation period that we know and our patients need to know. The thing I think about sometimes is the difference between the passive neuroplasticity and active neuroplasticity. Passive neuroplasticity is I'm using tinnitus sound therapy. It's on in the background. I don't have to think about it. As long as I have it on, then my brain's using it subconsciously. Active neuroplasticity might be different. It might be I'm going to that restaurant. I'm actively listening, even when it's really hard and I'm trying and I'm pursuing that. What's the balance? How do you approach that when you're recommending? Well, those are, those are, I I like those. During during the first six weeks, how often should they be pushing themselves to go active on the neuroplasticity? Oh, I, I, I mean, look, the same way we tell our patients who are starting treatment, if we're talking hearing loss or tinnitus, like the brain wants this stimulation. It needs it. Maybe it needs a reminder, but it will catch on quickly that it needs it. And so I've never really been a proponent of try a little bit here, try a little bit there. I really, my our goal is to help patients right away actively re-engage. Now, if we're talking about extreme tinnitus cases, wherein, you know, 
any exposure to noise can cause a significant uptick, that's a different case. But if we have a patient who you gave the example earlier, a 62, 65-year-old person who's got age-related hearing loss, maybe there's some noise damage, there's some tinnitus happening. I mean, let's get right back at it, right? Uh, the terms that, that we speak to our patients about is more direct versus indirect treatment, which isn't all that different than the terms you were using in, in indirect, right? There's a lot of stuff out there, a lot of misinformation out there when it comes to sound generators, when it comes to, you know, just putting some background noise on to distract the brain. While I agree, there's got to be some neuroplasticity that's occurring there. That is a very passive, indirect way of treatment. And so that's that's not the recommendation we start with. We start with the direct treatment or the active treatment of let's get the brain going. It's You can't let it just continue to stumble along. Otherwise, it's use it or lose it. And so we got to get right back in on this. And maybe we have to temper uh, based on the patient's tinnitus experience, but, but I'm all for diving right in. Dive right into your book, Preventing Decline, Advances in the Medical Treatment of Hearing Loss and Tinnitus. Who is the intended audience here? Who would benefit from reading this book or having it as a reference? When I wrote the book, I actually had several audiences in mind. So for starters, I, I do have a passion to continue to push the field of hearing healthcare in, in the right direction. Maybe, maybe that's self-centered. It's the direction that I think it should go in, in that we need to really shine a spotlight on the fantastic and extremely high-valued services that we provide that help change our patients' lives day in and day out. So, so it's written for people, hearing healthcare specialists, to understand where we need to go so that, so that we're not left maybe even believing ourselves that the widget the hearing aid defines us because it doesn't, right? You could, you could get a real smart computer, a real smart phone, but it does you no good unless you have the training and the expertise to really understand how to use it. So, so I think it's a great time in our field. Now that, now that everybody can get an over-the-counter hearing aid anywhere they want, I think it's a great time for our field to step up and say, yes, you can get the widget anywhere, but that's that's not going to help you. That's not going to treat your hearing loss. That's not going to help provide you relief of your tinnitus. And so I wrote it for our field. I also wrote it for the aging adults, right? I mean, my mom, she'd kill me if I revealed her real age, but she's in her early 70s. And I joke about this in the book. She's way more active than I am. I always say my mom's much cooler than I am. She's got cool jeans. She's got cool Ugg boots. Like she lives a very active lifestyle, which is, is so different from my grandmother who hung around in her house dress all day and didn't do much, didn't leave the house. So, so I want to help her maintain that active lifestyle until the end, whenever it is. I mean, she's got the genes to live to her late nineties. And so, well, we better enjoy the next 20 years, mom. Right. So it's written for the patient, but it's also written for the family members. Part of the thing when it comes to hearing loss and tinnitus is we don't understand, right? We don't understand what they're going through. It's, it's a, you don't see a scar. You don't see a bruise. You don't see a problem, but you do see a loved one starting to isolate themselves. You do see a loved one having difficulty with their memory. You see a loved one complaining about the ringing in their ears and it, it gets in the way. They can't follow a conversation. 
We have to help our loved ones avoid the isolation and the pitfalls of untreated hearing loss and tinnitus. And then finally, I wrote it for the greater medical community so that everybody can have a real appreciation for what our patients go through so that everybody has a nice quick read on what are the risk factors for cognitive decline? How important is it to treat hearing loss? And then I even go into some other things. I mean, the book goes off on a little bit of a tangent with active aging. I talk about health, nutrition, exercise. I mean, the book's kind of for everybody. Excellent. Excellent. Dr. Keith Darrow, I really appreciate you explaining that. My name is Dr. Ben Thompson, founder of Treble Health, and this is my podcast hosting Dr. Darrow here. His team has been gracious and kind to donate 15 books preventing decline to our community. And there will be a link underneath the YouTube video, which you can sign up. And the first 15 signups will be sent a book free of charge. We will not do anything with your email address other than send the book to your home. So thank you so much, Dr. Darrow. Really appreciate you being here. We will definitely speak in the future. And for anyone listening with tinnitus or hearing loss, the main takeaway here is don't feel helpless. There are things you can do tinnitus and hearing conditions, they are chronic conditions. We have to accept them to some degree, but also remember that you have elements of control to influence them in a positive way for your own health. Dr. Darrow, the last word is yours. Oh, wow. You told me you weren't going to put me on the spot. You're on the spot. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Ben. Thank you to the audience. If there's anything, because I know Dr. Ben's open to it, I'm open to it. If there's anything that we could ever do for you or your loved one, whether it be provide a consultation just provide some education. Please don't ever hesitate uh, to reach out. You can find me over at drkeithdarrow.com. You know where to find Dr. Ben and, and just continue to live your best life. Thanks so much, everyone. And if you're watching this here on YouTube, make sure to check out our other podcast episodes as well. Take care. Hey, real quick, before you finish listening to this podcast, this is Dr. Ben Thompson speaking. I wanted to say thank you Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means the world to me. I ask you for a quick favor. If you have two minutes, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review and leave a comment, I read every comment and it means the world to me. If you're engaging and returning some love, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much and I'll see you again for the next episode. Bye.